Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. Fresh Take. On today's episode, we will be discussing genetically modified mosquitoes. I'd like to welcome Dr. Stephen Forbes, who is an expert in genetically modified organisms and the manager of the processing department at Quality Certification Services, as well as Dr. Rom, who is the executive director of Florida Organic Growers. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Jessica. My background is in ethylene microbiology. I've also done a lot of work with uh, molecular biology biology and genetics. My bachelor's was in microbiology. I did a PhD in biomedical science, immunology, and infectious disease track. I've done some work with vaccines. So primarily my knowledge with genetics is with bacteria, but I do have a decent understanding of genetic systems and a number of organisms. Very good. Well, what really got me thinking about this episode is, you know, here in the office and had a, a brief conversation with our executive director, Rom, and he asked me, have I heard about the genetically modified mosquitoes that were going to be released. And at that moment, I hadn't. So we chatted about it for a little bit. And when I got home, the wheels really started turning because as we all know, mosquitoes are known to carry Zika, West Nile, malaria, um, and some other diseases. So I started really thinking about this and, and clearly fog does not support genetically modified organisms. So I started reading about it and trying to research, you know, what's going on and how is this going to happen and how this was approved and learned that this has been approved already and that very soon these mosquitoes are going to be released into different parts of Florida and Texas weekly. So I just thought it would be a great topic for us to cover today because I didn't know very much about it. So some of our listeners may not be aware of what's going on as well. So it has gone through a regulatory review. The FDA did review it. Uh, they published an extensive document on the finding. One of their conclusions also was that it's not a drug, so it actually does fall under DPA. So this company has been working on this for a while. The line they're working with, I believe, has been worked on for about 10 years. And they've done a number of trials or uh, full-out testing in a number of regions. I wouldn't say any complete alleviation of disease, but in some cases they can see a decrease in mosquitoes. It's a very difficult thing to do to introduce a, a new line of, of anything, particularly a, say like a mosquito where there's so many of them, and try to outcompete the wild types. What they're trying in this approach here is they've, they've modified a particular line of mosquito that carries diseases. Mm -hmm. Different types of mosquitoes can carry different diseases, some more commonly than others. The one they're working with is found here in the U.S., the plan is to release about every two weeks batches of these modified mosquitoes. And there'll be a couple of reasons they probably do it every two weeks. One is that there are just, well, so many mosquitoes. Uh, you see here in Florida, we, we do have a lot of mosquitoes. And the other is that the way they're regulating these is there's a lethal factor that ends up killing mosquito, at least the offspring. So they won't survive. And that lethal factor gets expressed over time. The way they're doing this is they're using an antibiotic, tetracycline. So in the presence of the antibiotic, the lethal factor has been repressed. As that degrades over time or is used up in the, 
in the mosquito, this lethal factor will start to be expressed. And tetracycline, people may know uh, other members of the family, like uh, doxycycline. So a lot of people may have heard of this. So there are members of this antibiotic family we do use in humans and animals. Well, Stephen, what I understand is males don't bite. So that would lead me to believe that the risk to humans and livestock is pretty low. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, the males don't take blood meals like the females do. That more likely they they don't eat off blood. And why the female mosquitoes drink blood is actually to help with production of their eggs for the next generation. Blood is very rich in a lot of nutrients. I mean, we we use it in ourselves. It carries both the the oxygen we need. It carries the water. It carries the food. It's full of protein. It's it's a very rich media, and the mosquitoes are exploiting that to make the next generation. There will be a few females likely reduced when you're dealing with this this number, but it's it, what they're expecting is it's going to be you know 0.02 percent females released. Basically, what you're saying is that what what uh, what our kind of understanding is also is that they're releasing this male mosquitoes that is genetically modified. That male mos- mosquitoes mates with the females, and then the offsprings that comes out are are supposed to be, the progenies are supposed to be sterile so they don't multiply and die. But as somebody also who understands science, there are some certain risks with this, with, this, with this kind of approach. First and foremost, when this company did the study, they did actually, they did a lot of work in like Cayman Islands, I believe, in Brazil mostly. So in Brazil, when they did the study, they basically took strains from Cuba and Mexico and they also created this modified male mosquitoes was released into the Brazilian mosquito population. So what the study from the Yale University found out is approximately 3% of the total populations released. This is independent of the company. When Yale, the scientists from Yale did the study, 3% of the population survived. So that to me is alarming. What happens if there's a 3% of the population escapes and this offspring survive, then there is potential for us to create a super mosquito that is potentially resistant to drugs because as we all know, hybrids are more vigorous than, than their parents. So now we have something that is more vigorous, more resistant to drugs. We live in 2020. We have a lot of things happening. Uh, we started with the Australian fires, now the COVID-19, the Asian dang hornet, which we have an episode on. And now we are having also this GMO mosquitoes in Florida right in our backyard. This is very concerning, especially the possibility of a super mosquito. As far as, say, 3% escaping, it wouldn't be surprising if some percent does escape. The system they're using is a genetic system. So there's always a matter of what's expressed RNA, what's converted to protein. And as far as these systems too, what's used to drive expression or repress expression, they can be very tight or they can be loose, but you rarely see a true, say, on-off that's very hard to achieve, but you can get a very tight or very loose regulation depending on the system you use. And I would certainly hope that we don't get any super mosquitoes. This is the last, that would be the last thing we need. Yeah, that was, that was my number one concern. I was also concerned, you know, as I was looking for any data from this company, when you release such a controversial thing, Stephen, I always believe transparency is the key. Building the community, uh, reaching out the community. That seems to be a total absence of transparency in this whole process. And I don't know whether that is planned from the state of Florida or in Texas where this is being released or already have been released or in the process of being released. There's any, any efforts from the state to study this and publish in, a, in an open way where independent peers can review this data and say, hey, this is working or does not, or this is not working. 
because when you have lack of transparency, when the community is not brought on 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 inclusive manner to discuss the pros and cons of, this is not a good way to approach things. On top of the super mosquito that I talk about, all this just adds up to the fact that why we should allow this when there could be other means to control this mosquito. It's interesting that you say that, Ram, because these mosquitoes are going to be released in Florida, and so they fly and they can take over. Clearly, I mean, they're probably going to end up being nationwide. So I started doing some research and reading on uh, what measures are just being taken in our area, Gainesville specifically. And so I learned that Gainesville Mosquito Control uses an integrated mosquito management system, which they refer to as IMM, when controlling the mosquito population in Gainesville. So basically what that means is IMM combines a variety of mechanical, which means like eliminating the water in which the mosquitoes need to breed. And then they have a biological approach, which is using mosquito fish and bacteria to control mosquito larvae. And then they take a chemical approach, uh, which is using larvicides to control immature stages of mosquitoes and then adulticides to control uh, the adult mosquito populations to provide a more effective approach for the control of mosquitoes. So, of course, like I said, in reading all of that, it made me look into, okay, well, what chemicals are being used? Because I know that with organic practices, all inputs must be approved. So I read that um, spinosad is used in some of the treatments, which I think would be okay. But I also see that mineral oil is also like an an active ingredient in some of these chemicals. But in looking through all of it, I see permethrin is in almost every chemical used. So like I said, while we welcome our city's integrated approach, it still falls short because some of these chemicals are not organic. I mean, we don't have to use genetically modified organisms. So like I said, I just started reading and looking, you know, further into this and thinking, okay, well, how do you protect yourself? Because like, I, I don't want to use. And so in, in doing all of that, I see like the, the oil of like lemon and citrus trees are often great options. And I also saw that eucalyptus is a great option as well. So, I mean, I don't know what either one of you use in your home, but I do keep uh, lemon around. I have a, a citrus, like a citronella candles, and I have eucalyptus oil that I keep in a spray bottle that I spray like around the outside of my home. Well, as, as far as me, Jessica, because of the kids, I actually use most, no chemicals in the home or outside the home other than, you know, say a cleaner for dishes. I just don't do it. As far as looking at it from the organic regulations, if you're producing on land, yeah, you, you can't use a synthetic unless it's on the national list. So most synthetics will be out. And from the facility pest control side, you have to try exclusion and mechanical methods before you move on to anything that is allowed on the national list. And only, only if all those measures fail can you use anything that would be synthetic and not on the national list. Right. Stephen, did I hear you say that your friend is doing something innovative? Oh, yeah. Um, a friend of mine has an interesting way he keeps the uh, mosquitoes down around his property. He had some bats try to move into um, his building. So he, he built them a bat house. And <laughs> the bats have lived there quite happily and the mosquito population has gone way down. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's no COVID coming out of it. Oh, I hope not. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Jessica, to answer your question, I'm concerned with how the cities are approaching this problem. But I started to feel that there are steps that we could have taken Mm-hmm. You know, why do we have to rely on cities? Let's start from our house, from our yard. First, like you said, you know, get rid of any standing water. This is one my, you know, we do collect a lot of rainwater in my home to reuse. So first, I man, getting rid of the standing water or covering it so there's no mosquitoes is being multiplying. That's the first step. Uh, right. If I can get rid of the standing water, 
I have actually used coffee grounds. I'm a big coffee drinker. Um, So coffee grounds has been very effective against this lorry multiplying there. The third one I also use, this is all I do it in my yard, you know, get it out the standing water, get it up the, uh, using coffee grounds. Uh, like you suggested, I use, I planted citronella trees, such as citronella plants, as well as basil plants. For some reasons, the mosquitoes don't seem to like it. Uh, like Stephen said, we, we have King Yang kids in my home. There's no way we're going to use a chemical. Um, sometimes uh, putting, just switching on your fan also helps. Mosquitoes don't like to fly uh, underneath the fan. But sometimes just switching on the breeze, I call, is it helps. And uh, so those are some of the things I do it in my yard. But in my home, obviously, it just becomes a practice because of having essential oils in my home. You cook. So as a habit now, we use either citronella oil also. We just let the, the machine that produces the, not machine, whatever you call them, to make oil. We burn citronella oil inside the home. Usually when I have, a, because we have a well protected patio, it's nicely screened, it doesn't let them in. Mosquitoes, number one is prevention. Number two is, you know, using the sit, burning the citronella oil has been really helpful. And then as well as as concerning applying on my skin, I have never applied DEET. I never wear clothes that has, has DEET on it. I actually use just citronella oil on my skin. How the effect, it just typically gives a protection for a good six hours. If, especially if I'm going to work in my yard, I'm big in gardening. I have a lot of, I always stay outside. So the spraying of the citronella oil without any other ingredient has really helped a lot for me to keep the mosquitoes out of my body. So that's something that, that those are some of the things that I do in my home to answer your questions. But there's a bigger problem we have to think about here. Why we don't have to engage in some of those GMOs, which has a high risk, what I call as high risk, a huge unknown type of products. I don't know whether it's fortunate or unfortunate. The United States has evolved from an agrarian society to more a convenient society. What that really means, some of the things that what I just talked about, we used to do that before all this GMO mosquitoes or synthetic chemicals being used. The use of synthetic chemicals or the use of pesticide has a significant impact on the ecological viewpoint, in my opinion. First, the use of chemicals is toxic uh, to us, but it's also toxic to the amphibians that actually takes care of, that takes care of this mosquitoes population, the fish populations. And we have seen there are enough scientific studies to show that the aquatic organisms are malformed because of use of certain weed, weed killers that we use every day without even thinking. So that has really caused an imbalance. So there is a rise in mosquito population because why in the first place? Is that's because we are using higher amount of of weeds, weed, weed killers that actually ends up in ponds and lakes that affects this natural predators, such as the, the larval predators, such as maybe it's a frog or a tadpole or fish. But even as you know, we typically used to say in agronomy classes and other places, uh, the dragonflies are indicators of a, a good healthy ecosystem. So you no longer see drag, lots of different species of dragonflies anymore it's because this application of pesticides is actually killing them all. Uh, so what's happening there is you have now have a population of mosquitoes, and now we have to control with more chemicals to sustain them. Now, if you think from another perspective, okay, now this GMO mosquitoes is going to be released, that will going to eliminate 80 to 70% of the population of this mosquito. It should be beneficial. Mm-hmm. The answer is no, 
because when you when you eliminate uh, this population, let's say we hypothetically we eliminate this all this mosquito population except for right. those three, so except for those three person that can escape and potentially become uh, a super mosquito. There are food web systems that depends on the systems. So the key here is coexisting with nature as much as possible, uh, be it applying natural. Uh, Stephen suggested bats, and you know. Of course, bat is not a good example at this point of the time to talk about, but then bats and, you know, you talked about citronella and other things that we can apply. In other words, going, taking a little step, little bit of steps that will help us to coexist with nature will greatly reduce a lot of this imbalances in ecological systems that we see. Not all the time, all of these organic measures that you're talking about is going to work. Sometimes you have to have certain tools in your toolkit to reduce the mosquito population, especially if it exports beyond a threshold. The first reason why it exports the larval population of the mosquito exports is because there's a huge ecological imbalance. We need to recognize that. We need to stop using pesticides. We need to be using things that are harmful. That's, that goes without saying. So uh, there are things that's available that's natural and compliant to the organic regulations, such as Bt, Bacillus thuringiensis. You mentioned spinosad uh, during early part yes, of this conversation. Yes. Those, those, yeah, those are all acceptable way to, to do control should we need to do. So if you take enough steps, if we protect ourselves, if we move from a convenient society to say, hey, I'm willing to do some extra stuff, little extra stuff, then we don't have to play around with such a risky measure such as GMO and start worrying about a super mosquito. Ram, I'm glad that you brought that up because like I said, in reading and just looking into the different chemicals that are in some of these treatments, of course, it, it led my mind to, okay, well, you know, with GMOs being prohibited, it got my mind thinking about the impact on organic certification. Yes. So Jessica, as far as GMOs, if they fall under the definition of excluded methods under 7 CFR 205.2, then they are not allowed in organic production. Okay. So the, the way this mosquito is produced, it would definitely fall under excluded methods. So is, but as long as the, the producer isn't actually using it, it right, be an issue, and with most of the mosquitoes being released being male, they shouldn't even be. Even if you had livestock, they shouldn't be biting them. There should be right. a few females out there. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, my one suggestion would be is just to make sure those producers update. Is <laughs> say, for example, before you apply, you know, it is a requirement in the NOP regulations that that if there's going to be a mosquito spraying. In your area, you typically is expected to notify the county that you're an organic farm. So there's, if there is any accident or contamination and the product, if it exceeds the EPA tolerance level, cannot be sold. There's just GMO mosquitoes, as Stephen has articulated. It's a, it's a different thing. You've, unless you're not planning to use it or if you know your county or your city is planning to release, please notify your certification body that this is going to happen. Now, if you're planning to use, you get excited and you want it to be releasing on your farm, that method may not be allowed under the organic regulations. Uh, we should seek clarification from the National Organic Program, but to my best of the knowledge, if you're a farmer or I want to release the GMOs mosquitoes farm, that method may be prohibited um, under the organic regulation. Absolutely. Those are great pointers and tips, Rom. 
Well, I mean, as always, you two always bring a great deal of information to our listeners. And this was very informative for me. So I hope it was for our listeners as well. Um, if anyone listening today would like more information on this episode, you can email us at info at foginfo.org. Or you can go on our website, which is foginfo.org. Um, and as always, we thank you for listening. And Rom and Stephen, we definitely thank you for your participation today. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 